0: Is this, this, is like real, ch- it's real church today. It's kind of, kind of like real church. It's still like somewhat awkward, but we're working through that, right? It's like, it's almost like we have to learn how to be together again, because we forgot. Maybe some of you enjoyed not being together. It's interesting to see the different personalities that even introverts are finding themselves like, all right, I'm good, I think I'm good. I'd like to be with people again. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, I, I think that I was that way for the first uh, few months. You may not guess it because I'm, uh, if you know me personally, know that I'm quite verbal when I'm with people, uh, but I actually am far more introverted uh, than people think. And uh, in the first few months of COVID, I was like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And then, and and Darcy's like, you know what? You're a terrible pastor. You, you, you can't say that you're enjoying church without people. And I'm like, but I kind of, if I'm going to be honest, I kind of am right now. And then, and then, about three months in, I was like, all right, I'm over it. I don't like this. This is dumb. And then it's just been increasing agitation ever since. Um, so, it, it it warms my heart. I, you know, I am absolutely uh, convinced that there's a reason. The first thing that's stated about humanity. Uh, in scripture uh, besides being made in the image of God is that it's not good that man be alone and that's not just a statement around marriage that's a statement around existence uh, that we are meant to live life together and that's made figuring out how to be a part of the mission of Jesus as the body of Christ quite complicated In a time where social distancing, a phrase that we literally didn't use a year ago, uh, has become the new uh, way in which we exist as people. I mean, just even the need to be touched. uh, I think about so many within our body that live alone, that do not have... Uh, their main relationship and centers of relationship is in the church community. It just, it weighs on my heart and I just encourage you to continue to pray for us as leadership, for us as a church to figure out creative ways where we can, uh, where we can truly meet the needs of one another uh, in this complicated time. And just know that we love you uh, and we miss being together. And for all of you who are watching the service at home, we miss you uh, and can't wait until we can be together again. It's good to be together as as followers of Jesus. Well, we are gonna continue in our series on the disciplines of grace. And today what we're going to talk about, we actually have um, three messages left, and didn't Russ do a great job on gratitude last week? It's still fun to hear him teach. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to look today at practicing servanthood, and then we're going to consider next week um, practice giving, and then for our Christmas message, we will consider the discipline of receiving We don't think of receiving as a discipline, but it is. And I would argue that most of us have a harder time receiving help than giving help. Uh, And it's sort of, there's kind of two sides of the same coin, but we need to remember that what we're celebrating in the incarnation is God giving to the world this incredible gift of his son. And we're told that salvation comes by what? Receiving that gift accepting that gift, but how receiving plays into the Christian life as a whole. How do we be the body of Christ uh, if we aren't willing to receive one another into our lives, if we're not willing to give of ourselves or receive, it becomes deeply problematic. And so I see receiving as much of a discipline as giving, actually. But today, we're going to consider serving. I wanna just begin with this passage where Jesus, uh, speaking to his disciples in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, says something that is so profound and I think that we forget even as we just installed an elder I think it's easy to think of of leadership and kind of this hierarchy that if you were to look at it as a, as a diagram that the you know that the elder board sits at the top and then you know then the staff and then under the staff is the leaders in the church and then under the the leaders of the church is you know everybody else uh, but that is not the way that the kingdom of God works. It's an upside-down kingdom, and what we need to be as elders is the chief servants. Uh, What we need to be modeling is what it looks like to be poured out for the good of those around us, that we would be broken bread and poured out wine. Because look at the words of Jesus himself. He gives us the model of servant leadership when he says, for even the Son of Man did not come to what? To be served, but to serve And here he qualifies what that service is by saying, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That service and sacrifice in the economy of the kingdom of God really are synonymous with one another. I think that Jesus goes on when speaking to his disciples on the night of his betrayal, that profound verse that tells us really the first step in evangelism even is discovered in how we as followers of Jesus live life together. By all, by this all will know that you are my disciples, by what? if you have love for one another. But once again, love in the economy of the kingdom is defined by what? Sacrifice. And so I I see really, Love and service is essentially the same thing when we're coming at it from a Christian perspective. Service is not the little things that you do for others. Service is that sacrificial disposition that puts the other above your own needs. And so I think of Paul's own words in Romans 12, we began this series with practicing surrender. And surrender and service go hand in hand because Romans 12, which is where we began this series, what does Paul say? I beseech you. Another way of saying, I beg you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves as what? Living sacrifices, conduits of sacrificial love. And he says, this is how you will enter into what he refers to as your logical worship or Another way of translating it, reasonable service. It's interesting that service and worship are interchangeable uh, in the translation of that verse. This is our logical service, it's our reasonable worship. The only tangible evidence that our relationship with Christ is healthy is not the level of mystic experience that you have because if you're one whose primary interest is in your own intimacy with Jesus and it does not naturally lead to the good of those around you, then there is something fundamentally wrong in your understanding of the gospel and you may be having a mystic experience but my immediate question is whether or not it's with Jesus. Because to be a follower of Jesus is to identify with the way that Jesus lived. And Jesus says, the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is why I often struggle. When I first became a believer, I was really drawn. It's the artistic temperament that that introverted side of my life, that creative side that loves to separate myself from others and is constantly looking for that experiential, that awe-inspiring experience. But what I realized very quickly in my Christian life was how self-serving my own pursuit of God could be because I wasn't actually that interested in how it translated into, my care, into care for my wife, or my son, or those around me. I was a new believer and it was about me and Jesus. But that's actually contradictory to the gospel to the essence of the New Testament. And it's funny, because when I first got saved, I, I spent all this time reading all the mystics I could get my hands on. I thought they were fascinating. And you know why I thought they were fascinating? Is because they were impenetrable. <laughs> I'm like, you know what, I don't understand it. That means this must be good. St. John of the Cross, have you ever read that? No idea what he's talking about, but it's super cool. Teresa of Avila, Interior Castles super fascinating. It's like a good new age daydream. Uh, Makes for great music. Uh, Inspires good poetry. Uh, Not that there isn't truths in them, but man, it it is a mixed bag at best because often the experience overrides the truth of scripture. Scripture is almost secondary to the to that transcendent experience and this is what I think is fundamentally flawed with the mystical approach to the Christian life. What we need is a practical mysticism, an experiential relationship with Jesus that leads to our lives being poured out for others. I think practical mysticism, evangelical mysticism as I would call it, is a healthy thing. Uh, I think that we should expect to experience the reality of the living Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, but it is never meant to turn us inward upon ourselves that we might learn how to navel-gaze more efficiently. That is not the goal of the Christian life. Our reasonable service is something that actually pushes against the age of individualism. In this age, we have forgotten that the transformative work of the gospel is not primarily to bring about forgiveness of sins. That is actually a side benefit Uh, or assure us of a happy place in the future. But the primary work of the gospel, our faith in Christ puts us into the family of God. It puts God into us and it puts us into the family that we might be conduits of his grace to a lost world. It means that the very love of Christ is meant to be played out in every arena of existence. By this they will know you are my disciples. By your mystical experience with me? No. (laughs) By your love for one another. This is what we call servanthood. It's not what Christ did then, but it's what he wants to do through us now by his presence. So... There are really just three things that I want us to consider today. And that is, first of all, the call to servanthood. Secondly, the expression of servanthood. And then finally, the outcome of servanthood. First of all, the call to servanthood. In Romans chapter 12, verse 10, it says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another, above what? Yourselves. Now, Think about this passage in light of the continuous uh, drivel that comes out of the self-help movement within our modern context. I mean, even our, you know, tennis shoes have slogans like, "Just, just do it. It's all about you grabbing a hold of your potential and making the most out of your life. But the gospel tells us that our satisfaction actually comes when we are are aligned with the will of God. And the will of God is our sanctification and our sanctification is our daily surrender to the living Christ who by his spirit then begins to work through us so that we actually become uh, participants in the restoration of God's kingdom on earth wherever Christ is reigning his kingdom has come so the question for us is is he reigning in our lives and we have to ask ourselves are we responding to the call to servanthood because this is about functioning selflessly it's not about Self-forgetfulness. I think one of the things that people really struggle with the idea of surrender is that it's somehow giving up. Like if we lay down our dreams, then we're going to lose ourselves. But what if, it, what if the actual fact is is that you don't know yourself nearly as well as you think you do? What if the reality is, like C.S. Lewis puts it in The Weight of Glory, we're too busy making mud pies in the slum because we cannot imagine what it's like to have a vacation at the sea, that the real gift, the real reward, is actually aligning ourselves with the person of Jesus. You know, in my early days of preaching, I used to put a very big emphasis upon the dangers of not responding in faith to Jesus. I, I put a big emphasis on on all that we lose if we don't have Christ. And I remember Gary Breshears used to just hammer me. He said, you know, you spent 45 minutes talking about the sin, but you never told people why following Jesus is gonna be better. And I, I just wanted to encourage you that your life, God is after your joy. And we have to learn to trust him That he knows actually what will bring us joy. And if he said, You will know, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another, I promise you that he wouldn't state that unless it was a key to real, true, and lasting satisfaction. See, I think that so often when we pursue, and think about it, think about the emptiness. I know it in my own life, the ways that I will give in to a desire to put my needs and my wants and my interests first and the ways that I pay for that. It's fun in the moment when I, when I really need to go down and spend time with my family, but I'm in the middle of making a song or reading a book or, I mean, I, I remember this in a very profound way when my kids were really little and I used to be very protective of my morning devotion time I got up every day faithfully at 5 a.m. and and I would and I would get mad at Darcy if she woke up before six she would come into the living room and be like ah what are you doing here you're not supposed to be awake yet and I remember specifically like Hattie getting up and wanting to spend time with me and me being like, "Like, honey, I can't right now. I'm, I'm, Daddy's doing his devotions. I'm spending time with Jesus. I don't have time for you. Just think about how contradictory that is to the will of the gospel. I mean, I think about Jesus' own words. If you cause any of these little ones to stumble, it would be better if you had a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the ocean. So I, I've, I probably will still have to answer to the Lord. for You remember that time do you wanted to spend time with you what do you think honored me the most in that moment you turning your daughter away so that you could read more books or you taking the time to reflect me in that relationship and that's the thing is that our learning and our knowledge and our time alone if it doesn't actually create in us a greater capacity to be poured out for others then, the, then once again something is off and I think that this is, I just am being honest because I think that I still find these things. I can, I, I can't tell you how many times Darcy will be like, are you on your way home? And I'll be like, yes, but yes means I'm about to stop doing what I'm doing. And, st- and then she'll actually be like, no, I mean, are you in your car driving? And I'm like. No, okay, I'm going, I'm coming, I'm coming. She's like, Joshua, you are supposed to be home like 15 minutes ago. And I'm like, I know. And it's just that, that tendency toward that self. And, and we can make all kinds of excuses. I'm being productive. I'm serving whatever. You think about whatever. I'm, I'm, you know, I've got a job. I've got to provide. When we put whatever it is above human relationships, there's something fundamentally wrong with the way that we're living. And I think that this is, this is what's important for us to understand. We are called to be devoted to one another, but I think about this. Luke chapter 16, verse 13, this call to function selflessly, I think that the passage that really speaks to this actually is Jesus' word about serving two masters. We often think about it in terms of like you can't, you know, you can't have two jobs because you're going to do one well and the other one's going to suffer. And there's truth in that. I actually think that the dangerous masters is yourself or Jesus. That the real issue and the real uh, duplicity that we often find in our lives is not, I'm too busy serving my work and not serving Jesus enough. No, the, the real issue, if we're really honest with ourselves, is that we have a hard time giving up our own autonomy. And the two masters that we often are serving is the flesh and the spirit. And that is why we are in a continual civil war within ourselves. I understand this. You know, if you're an Enneagram fan, it's because I'm a seven. It's kind of the same as astrology. I'm also a Gemini. So I guess that just means I'm divided. I'm cursed according to these personality tests. No, the issue is sin and redemption and the flesh's ability to raise its ugly head at any given moment. The, the old man, the old woman, has an uncanny ability to resurrect from the dead. Maybe that's why we're so fascinated with zombies. And I think that this is, a, this is an issue. And, and here's what I think is the fundamental problem. It comes down to how we define service. You think, see, I would define service as not the surrender of this or that thing but it is the surrender of yourself. It's not choosing to serve, but it's choosing to be a servant. It's taking on the disposition of the servant. Choose to be a servant. You see, the difference between choosing to serve and choosing to be a servant is that choosing to serve keeps you in control of when and where you serve. And that is not true service. That is what I call selective sanctification. That is a way in which we make ourselves feel good about the lack of surrender in other areas of our lives. The real question is, is do you belong to Jesus? And are you living like you belong to Jesus? What does Paul say? Do all things unto the Lord. The choice in being a servant is a voluntary surrender of one's right to be in charge. And I would argue this is the key to our real freedom. We aren't free until we have the right master. And only Jesus is able to say, whoever the Son of Man sets free shall be free indeed. Isn't it funny how often we talk about our freedoms especially in this country, our liberties, but how often do we take into consideration that the freedoms that we enjoy as citizens of the United States of America is dependent upon all kinds of parameters, that all freedom is freedom within limitations, and that the freedom that we have in the gospel is the freedom to do what is right, and to do what is right is to do what is true, and truth alone is immovable. And so it is that the call to servanthood is the call to function selflessly. Secondly, it is the call, the expression of servanthood, and this is what it means to function sacrificially. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15. I've always loved this passage. And I will very and keep in mind, just context, Paul is writing to a church that is distrustful of him even speaking poorly of him because he is an apostle. He's come in, he would go, Paul would travel around, he would plant churches, he would stay for a couple years and then he would move on to another region and do it all over again, handing over leadership to people. And so what would often happen is people would begin to question whether or not Paul was, Worthy of being an apostle. There would be battles around who's following who. And there would be issues within the church. And Paul is having to defend his position as the apostle throughout the letters to the Corinthians, which is, was a very carnal church. And he says this to those people that actually are speaking against him notice what he says. And I will go very gladly spend and be spent for your souls through the more abundant though the more abundantly I love you the less I am loved that his primary interest his main desire was not to be liked but it was to be a conduit of the love of Christ no matter what the cost there is a functioning of sacrifice in Paul's life that is is the expression of true servanthood that we can't serve people based upon what we get from them. That we can't serve people based upon our preference for their personalities. One of the things about being a part of the family of God is you don't get to pick who's in your family. And let's admit it, we're in the, in the time of holidays. And some of you, your families are so dysfunctional. And let me just remind you, as Mary Carr loves... Loved, uh, to say, and I love to, to quote, a dysfunctional family is any family with more than one person, okay? So, we're all dysfunctional, it's just, you know, levels of dysfunctional, you know, it's, it's almost like taste. Uh, someone would be like, I don't know if I'm that, dis-. you're probably, dis- if you're a human being, you're dysfunctional. That's it's, it's part of my low anthropology stance. Um, but dysfunctional families, holidays can be really difficult. If your family is difficult, you're kind of stoked for COVID right now. Cause you're like, I can't actually get together. I'm so sorry, mom. Uh, When you're actually like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I got to take a break this year. Cause you're so, but that's the thing is you don't, most times if when COVID is not around, you don't get to choose. who you love when it comes to family. We're just called to love our family, dysfunction and all. My dad, he's dysfunctional. I'm I'm a dysfunctional son. And I don't get to choose whether or not I love him. As a follower of Jesus, I am called to love him and not just love him, but love him sacrificially. To give myself to him. And do I do that well? Not as well as I should. I don't think not as well as Jesus would want me to. And I think that once again, it speaks to that tendency to avoid the pain of sacrifice, to avoid the difficulty of difficult people. But I think that the best way to overcome that is to recognize that you yourself are just as difficult to love as the person next to you. And people love you and give themselves to you. And I think that that's the way, he who's been forgiven much, what? Loves much. Think more of others than yourself. I like uh, John Corson, Calvary Chapel pastor, he used to always say, be hardest on yourself and easiest on others. And I think that that's a good, a good rule of thumb. It's the, the reality of that famous statement, no cross, no crown we are to be spent to be poured out think about what it says about jesus himself as the ultimate example of the humble servant in philippians chapter 2 verses 5 and 8 and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross I always argue that it is the cross that actually makes Christianity believable. It's why it's the first pillar of this church. If the gospel is the center of Christianity, the cross is the center of the gospel. There is no resurrection unless there's first death. And we need to understand that Jesus gave us an illustration of what it looks like to function sacrificially. Too many of us are throwing our lives away in selfishness rather than laying down our lives in the sacrificial service of others. Sacrificial service means you don't get to choose who you serve. Your neighbor is whoever is in front of you, behind you, or next to you at any given moment. Do you live with that kind of eye toward others? I was struck by this. the other day because I think that we all kind of have our nerves on edge in this season and, and I'm not one who like loses my cool very easily. Uh, I, I'm overall pretty forgiving and am about de-escalating tension but I've even found myself just like th- just this time is just very irritating season and Portland in all of its hipsterdom, I swear to you, hipsters love COVID. Uh, And I went to go buy a record the other day and I go to a store and these two guys that were working there, it was like they enjoyed pretending like we weren't standing outside waiting to get in and never acknowledged our presence. And I just, I blew it in a moment that I could have been a conduit of love and believing the best, I got mad and like raise my voice at this kid uh, for not acknowledging that five people had left and there was no one in the section that he was working in and he was still making me stand outside in the rain. And instead of just waiting patiently and saying, Lord, how can I be a witness to you? I yelled at him. And if you're here at church today, I'm really sorry, but you were super rude. (laughs) And I'll never shop at your store again. But with that said, we've got to learn <laughs> to be servants. I just actually need—I just got mad again and sinned again just talking about it. Um, <laughs> so this is the thing: is it, 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 we don't get to choose who we serve, and every opportunity is the potential to be a missed opportunity. Right? Every every opportunity in which we come into contact with another human being is the possibility of actually being that person's connection to the living Jesus. That is a heavy thing. That you may come up to a stranger and their only contact with Jesus that day is through you. So the question is, is are you introducing people to the king when you come into their presence? Because Jesus says, I will come and make my home within you. But how can he be known if we lock him up inside our own selfishness? Sacrificial service is, is, is a service that allows Jesus to be expressed to every person, no matter how they treat you. And I, I do feel guilty about how I responded uh, to that young man. We never know what's going on in people's lives. The outcome of servanthood, finally, is learning to function seamlessly. Romans 12, verse 5 says, So in Christ, though many from one body and each member belongs to all the others. Do You notice that? That we don't have the right to say, I am my own. I now belong to another, to Jesus, which by definition means I belong to his people as well. That I actually belong to the world, not the ways of the world, but I belong to the mission of Jesus who is given to this world. That we are to be a people that live in a way that reflects what the kingdom of God looks like. First and foremost, our love for one another is our witness. And then to those outside of the church, we are to be a continual witness. Paul says, I don't wish that you were taken out of it. I I don't want you to cloister yourself from the world. If you were to cloister yourself, what would be the purpose of even being here? No, we are to be a people that are witnesses in the world, though not of it. We're to be pointers As Jacques Ellul says, we have to learn how to elude the systems of the world so that we can continually be pointers to the living Christ whose kingdom is the truth that the world needs. It just doesn't know. So when we begin to realize that we are bondservants of Jesus, this is to become living conduits of his very life. This is our reasonable service. And we have to... Take into consideration even the words. remember what I said? service and love really go hand in hand. They are, in many ways the same thing. They both have to do with sacrifice. And think about Paul's words in Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 14. "For the love of Christ, what compels us. Nothing motivates discipline except proper affections. You will not discipline yourself in servanthood unless you know in the depths of your being that on your worst day Jesus is crazy about you. Nothing will motivate you to be poured out for the good of others unless you know that you are loved. The love of Christ has been poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit. We know that we are loved and now we have been given the capacity to be conduits of that love. We belong to Christ, and he belongs to, the, to us. Therefore, we belong to one another. We can't say, I am my own. That's why it is actually a false premise to say when people uh, you ask, like, what do you, uh, uh, what do you believe? Um, like, what's your relationship like with God? And they, if they say, it's pri- It's personal. Uh, Personal is not an accept, uh, that's a a misunderstanding of the gospel. If you mean by personal, it's private, uh, wrong answer. If you mean by personal relationship, right answer. But we are not private in our faith. Our faith is not a private ordeal. You shouldn't be excited if you are able to function as a Christian in Portland without anyone knowing. That should not make you happy. We should be bummed when we find out a co is a Christian that we've worked with for a long time and never knew because there was something lacking in what we communicated and there was something lacking in what they communicated. And I think that we live in a city that is so spiritually oppressive, and believe me, it's spiritual. There's a lot of spirits functioning in Portland Just not a lot of the Spirit of God. There's a lot of demonic presence and oppression in this city. And more than ever, do we need to have the boldness to live out our lives in this place as servants of Christ? A servant of Christ is one who lives seamlessly in the body of Christ because we know that we have been purchased at a price and I am no longer my own, I belong to another, which in many ways means I now belong to you. I'm not my own. I do have to answer to you. You know, I think that this, is, this has happened. People have walked away from the church and say, I'm not gonna answer to leadership in the church i'm not going to answer to the community they can't judge me i have the right to make my own decisions about my own life and this kind of relativism where everybody gets to choose what they want what is right and wrong is so fundamentally flawed and people can't figure out why they feel lonely because if everyone gets to choose what is right and wrong, if everyone gets to do whatever, that, whatever is right in their own eyes, it creates an island mentality where all you are doing is protecting your ego against the world. And that is an existential crisis <laughs> waiting to happen. But when we surrender to the fact that our lives actually aren't private in the sense that I don't have to share anything with you. But no, I am a follower of Jesus, therefore I belong to you. That is a beautiful thing. It's risky. People are like, what if you get hurt? You will get hurt. What if people take advantage of that? They will take advantage of that. I saw this again and again. I have known more than a few pastors who after years and years of ministry have been hurt so many times by people in the congregation or by staff that eventually they think that the only proper way to protect themselves is to completely isolate themselves from their community. And Darcy and I have to constantly remind each other, this is what we cannot ever allow ourselves to do. And believe me, it's tempting. There are times where there is a breakup with someone in the church that's so painful that I think I can't risk my heart any longer in relationships, but Jesus reminds me, but I love Judas all the way to the end, knowing exactly what he was. And I think that this is how we are to live, that living the Christian life is risky, but it is worth the risk, because I want to end my life knowing not only that I lived well, but that I loved well. And I can't love well unless I am surrendered to the King who desires to love you through me and desires to love me through you. This is the call to be servants. So I wanna just close with, I, I, I actually don't remember where this came from. All I can tell you is I'm positive that I did not create this, it's too good. I think it's Richard Foster. Um, from his Celebration of Disciplines, which is a book on disciplines that I would highly recommend. It's a classic. But it, he speaks to what is the difference between true and false service. And I, I love this. I'm going to put this up behind you. Um, false service is impressed with big things. True service finds it almost impossible to distinguish between big and little things. I love that. False service requires external rewards. True service rests content and hiddenness. False service is highly concerned with results. True service is free from the need to calculate results. False service picks who it wants to serve. True service is indiscriminate in its ministry. False service is, is affected by moods and whims. True service ministers faithfully because there is a need. False service is temporary, temporary. True service is a lifestyle. False service is without sensitivity. True service knows when to act as well as when not to act. False service fractures community. True service builds community. Psalm 26.2 says, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. What we need to recognize is that false service comes through human effort but true service comes out of our relationship with Jesus. May he examine our hearts today. May he reveal, are we living as servants of the living King, or are we living for ourselves? Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your gospel and for its ability to bring transformation to our lives. We do ask in this day and at this time that you would examine our hearts and our minds that you would reveal to us the truth of who you are, that we would know you in the depth of your being, that we would feel that deep unto deep, the deep cries of our broken bodies and minds and souls reaching up to the depth of your love. Where those two things interact, Lord, there's peace. For Lord, we recognize that we cannot serve or love in the way that you have called us to apart from your very presence in our lives. And so we offer ourselves to you, flawed as we are, mixture as there may be. We recognize that what you want from us is not this or that part of us, but just the whole person, the good along with the bad, that you might be responsible for our lives. We receive you, may we reflect you in the way that we live together. We pray this in your name, Jesus, amen.